I believe we are live. Check it out. So we're back. Beard Bros. Campfire Fun Time. I'm Grant. I'm Tyler. <clears throat> so, as you hear, hear two distinct differences from last week. Clear and crystal differences. We got the microphones equalized, the mixing board all set up, everything's running good. Got two of the same high-quality studio microphones here, so we're going to be uh, hopefully up in the quality of the podcast for everybody out there. And this is also the first time in the legendary shed. We're going to try this podcast out right here in Tyler's shed, all right? See what the sound is going to be like. Yeah, we have the doors open. We're listening to the crickets chirp out there, the cars driving by on sunshine, and... uh we got the little shed studio or the studio. The studio, I like that. Yeah, like the studio. Well, we got a podcast for you today. It's been a little bit. We didn't get to do it this week or this past weekend. We were a little busy, but we're making it up in the middle of the week. <clears throat> Hopefully, we'll end up getting a second one maybe by the end of this week as well. Maybe it, even three. I yeah. say go for two more after this one. It depends. We're definitely going to be having a guest coming up. We're not going to reveal anything else, but we'll kind of... Hint at that later and post on the Facebook page. But that leads me to my next point, the Facebook page. Make sure you like and follow. Like and subscribe to us, The fellas. Beard Bros Campfire Fun Time on Facebook. Uh, regularly posting pictures of stuff. Like this afternoon, I ended up going to Ritter Springs. <clears throat> it's been raining a lot lately, as you know, if you live anywhere near Missouri or really in the middle of the United States. It's been just raining nonstop for the past couple days. And this is perfect time to go out foraging for mushrooms. Uh, it's fall, so all the fall mushrooms are coming out. And this is, without a doubt, my favorite time to go mushroom hunting. Um, you get <clears throat> some of my most favorite mushrooms, like chicken of the woods and pheasant back and some puffballs, uh, lion's mane, elk horn. I'm going to just put a disclaimer on this one. If you are going out to forage some mushrooms... Make sure you know what you're doing. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Get connected. Um, just like our Facebook page, um, Beard Bros Campfire Fun Time, there are tons of Facebook groups that you can go to, such as like the Missouri Mycological Society. Um, they also have uh, Missouri Mushroom Hunting um, Group that you can kind of get identification from regular people seasoned foragers as well as mycologists that kind of pepper throughout the group so you get a positive identification because there's tons of mushrooms in missouri that look <clears throat> identical to a very poisonous mushroom you know that could easily yeah make you very sick or kill you yeah and with that too there are you know with most things that are challenging there are going to be some beginner mushrooms and there's always some very easy like mushrooms to start with uh, that have no cousins, that no poisonous lookalikes, basically. And one of those, the most easiest to recognize, um, is going to be Chicken of the Woods. Um, it's going to be, well, frankly, it it looks like coral. It's yellow and orange, sometimes gets into the pink, um, with little white on it. And it looks like shell coral kind of round edges, you know, in Chicken of the Woods, this is an important differentiation when you go looking. When you see a picture of them, make sure you Google it. When you see a picture of them, they're, I mean, you can't mistake them for anything else. However, 
it's very important to see that Chicken of the Woods does not have gills on the bottom. So when you're looking at mushrooms, there's a few things that you're going to look for whenever you're starting off foraging. <clears throat> and there's the quicker you learn the terminology of what some of these things are called, the easier you're going to be able to identify its lookalikes or the actual representation of the fungus you're looking for. And one of them is gills versus pores. Yeah, the sulfur-colored chicken of the woods. Uh, Tyler just pulled I just pulled up. them up, and they are beautiful, actually. Yeah. see the color. Have you ever seen any mushroom that looks like that? Very exotic-looking. And would you say it looks like coral? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's, you know, the Fan-shaped, color. Fan-shaped, fleshy, orange-red to orange-yellow on top. It's very I mean, it's beautiful. easy to spot when you're walking through the woods and you see something as, you know, alarming as that. Um don't be alarmed. Go up to it. Make sure you've done your research before this. Do a positive identification. Make sure there's no gills in the bottom. Make sure it's growing in the right places because that's another another important thing that you'll learn with other mushrooms is um, whenever you're harvesting mushrooms, the mushroom itself might be fine and edible. But if it's growing on a certain tree, they tell you not to harvest it. So again, look for these basic beginner mushrooms to go after and Ones like Chicken of the Woods um, are very, very common for beginners to go. How would you prepare that? Would you just throw it in a saute pan with a little butter maybe? Well, or? think of it like this. I'm a chef, and whenever I treated it like a breaded chicken cutlet, so you Italians out there listen closely. If you got vegetarians in the family, I know that's probably a sin for an Italian to be a vegetarian <laughs> in a true Italian family with all the sausages yeah, you'd be and the breaded cutlets and delicious cured meats but if you take this chicken of the woods mushroom and you cut it down to like you know a chicken breast size and you do a nice little uh egg batter and you dredge it in breadcrumbs or something and you pan fry it or pan saute it i will tell you the flavor is so close to chicken it's very crazy so if you got fussy children um this is something you can make mock chicken fingers, and they're eating chicken fingers. You can even tell them it's chicken fingers because it's chicken of the woods. Right. They'll grow up and learn later, you know, that they love mushrooms, and they had no idea why. It's, well, you're feeding them something that's really great, chicken of the woods mushroom. I love pan-seared without breading. You know, if you want to throw a little butter, uh, cut it into strips or pieces, um, pan-sear it, kind of high heat, medium-high heat, butter, salt, and pepper. Um, it's absolutely great. Mushrooms are almost never bad done that way. You know, there's there's a few exceptions. Would you ever fry them? Is that yeah. something just pan fry? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of with the breadcrumbs. You can pan fry them in strips. You can treat them just like chicken fingers, too, and um, kind of set them in a, a brine for a little bit. But be careful. Mushrooms absorb 800% their own weight and moisture. So... When you go to marinate them, you don't want them soaking too long. Um, maybe 15, 20 minutes, pull them out, drain them, and then you can go ahead and uh, coat them in your egg wash and then dredge them in a, in a flour. Or if you have a batter, you could probably do that. Um, egg wash, flour, and then a batter. Throw them in, fry them up. You got crispy chicken fingers. Nice. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Um, what I ended up finding today going out to Ritter Springs was the pear-shaped puffball. Now, these range in size from dime size up to almost half dollar. And whenever they're on a spot, like whenever you see one pear-shaped puffball, there's probably 
you know, 150 to 200 more up against it. It looks like um, marshmallows. Oh, nice. Like tan marshmallows, and they're, you know, small size. Pretty easy to spot them. Yep. Pretty easy to spot because you'll think that, you know, it's some other mushroom. But when you go up close, um, they're really soft and foamy. And what you're looking for in the whole puffball family, you know, there's some puffballs you can't eat, but a very quick tell to, you know, to know if a mushroom that's in the puffball family is edible in general is you split it from top to bottom with a knife. You cut it right down the middle from top to bottom, and you split it. It must be pure white like a marshmallow. You can't be any color, and what happens is whenever mushroom puffball gets white like that, the next stage is the spore stage, so it's going to start changing the inside to black or green or purple, and that's absolutely poisonous at that point. You're not going to want to oh, mess with so the So there's puffball. an expiration on these. Absolutely. So when you see them pop up overnight, which these did, um, you kind of harvest them. I like to, once I find a group of them on like a dead oak log that's lying down, I'll go up to a few of the you know, good size quarter and above, and I'll pluck off a few and slice them down the middle. And if they're pure white, every single one of them, I can pretty much guarantee that almost all of them touching them or in that little area are going to be, you know, plump and pure white. So I harvested a bunch of those, maybe 60 of them. I didn't get to see any other mushrooms. I saw um, wild allspice bush, which I've already harvested a bunch of those. That's a, that's another really cool wild edible that's around here. Um, the Native Americans used to get two different uses out of the wild allspice bush. If you want to look that up, Tyler, um, it's I'm not sure if it's in, if it was if it's always been here, but as far as we know, for a long time, it's technically a native um the wild allspice bush has these berries on them and these berries when they get you know start changing color from green to red towards the fall at the start of fall the end of summer you can pluck these off you dry them out and what you get is the pulp on the outside of the seeds and then there's seeds on the inside and the native americans i'm not sure which tribe used to do this but they used to use the pulp on the outside as a separate spice they would separate the seeds from the pulp and then dry them that way and it makes sense because whenever I did that in my dehydrator at home um, the seed itself had definitely a peppery allspice um, flavor interesting and the fruit pulp side of it when it dried had a sweeter fruity more aroma. citrus Yep, yeah. it was exactly citrus. It had like a squeeze of lemon. Um, so they used to utilize that for a variety of things. I know there are medicinal properties for both of them, uh, but you can also use the leaves themselves. You dry out the leaves, and you can grind them into a powder, and that's a substitute for what we would use as allspice. And I've done mm. that, and I put it in stews and soups. And on game meat, like squirrel, I've used that in squirrel. I strongly believe that you know in nature in these ecosystems whenever you have an animal that's living like a harvestable sustainable animal that we would call you know hunters that would call food um, if you are able to harvest the ingredients in the same ecosystem that they're in and living in and around you know and eating and in interacting with 
I believe there is a synergy with the flavors. You know, there's like a flavor affinity that works. That's why venison, it's popular to put juniper berries. Kind of kill a little bit of the gaminess, a little bit. To yeah, have a and it, bit of it, it meshes. It, it adds that little bit of nature and their environment together, and there's some sort of synergy with that. So, you know, it's the same thing if you go mushrooms and onions. There is some sort of synergy with that. You know, peppers and onions, they grow together. They're kind of the same thing. But in nature, whenever you pair things like a squirrel with some of these wild allspice berries and maybe you have some wild rosemary or some wild mint that you have because Missouri has tons of mints. Um, I regularly harvest a lot of mint like bergamot and um, box mint. There's spearmint, peppermint, and it just grows wild in the woods. Yeah, you can just harvest it. You just you walk around to. and pick yeah. it. Or is there a certain season, or is this... I mean, generally in the spring, you know, when things are green and and growing. um, The easiest way to identify a mint, other than the obvious smell of a mint family plant, so like basil, catnip, um, to your regular mints, um, the stem is always going to be square. It's going to be four-sided. So when you roll the stem in the stalk of the plant in your fingers, you're going to know it's going to go plop, 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 plop instead of rolling nice and smooth. And then when you look closely, you're going to see four sides. It's very weird. It It's right. it's a cube, like a cube prism going up. Um, so the mint mixes, you know, really well with the squirrel in a stew if you chop up some loosely and throw it in. The, it's, it's very interesting, the synergy and the flavor affinity. But at the same time, you know, logically, does that not make sense? Oh, yeah. Like how how hunters generally good sustainable hunters that we know you know family hunters and friends of our family they're all good cooks and they they treat the animal with with respect and I mean you would you would for sure want the best possible preparation for the animal if you're going to the hassle of you know going and hunting um, hunting a deer hunting a squirrel. Take the time to learn how you do it first, you know, both the uh, cleaning process as well as the cooking process. Yeah, and one of my other favorite mushrooms is going to be, let's say, the pheasant back. Pheasant back, that's an interesting name. A.K.A. Dryad's Saddle. This mushroom is very weird. Um, it's very light in flavor, so there's not a lot of flavor it's going to be bringing. It's kind of a soup or stock mushroom, I like to say. Um, you slice it real thin and kind of add it in soups um, at kind of the end of cooking. And one distinguishing feature of it, when you cut into it, it's without a doubt going to smell like one or two things. It kind of depends on the individual, but they smell one of two things. It's either going to be watermelon or cucumber. It's very crazy. It's kind of spotted. Crisps, like clean smell almost, or what? No, it smells legitimately like a cucumber. Oh, crazy. It's very weird. When you you see it, they call it pheasant back because it kind of looks like the back tail feathers of a pheasant where it's brown and white, kind of spotted. And it's a shelf mushroom with pores and not gills. And whenever you cut into it, you smell 
like cucumber and watermelon. It's really crazy. You, that is crazy. You gotta Google it. I'm, and see I'm what looking it looks up like. the pheasant back right now. It's crazy. It's a really good mushroom for fall. Again, another easy beginner mushroom that once you see it and you ID it for what it looks like—a shelf mushroom, not gilled but poured—and then you you look closer and you break it or cut into it and you smell it. It's definitely well. Why didn't you just tell me that was the Seroporus squamosus? You know, I would have known exactly. Oh yes, the Seroporus squamosus. Uh, it's in the family of. It's in the genus of. Uh, yeah, I have no idea. That that's the one thing I'll say. This this is the one thing that bugs me so much about the mycological groups. Really grind his mycological groups, whatever you want to say. Again, I'm not a mycologist here. I'm just a hobbyist that enjoys foraging. But the level of pretentiousness on these groups are crazy. If you post, like, are we talking about mushroom nerds right here? Yes. Okay. Listen. You know how there's brand snobs for guns, right? And they'll look down if you pull out a high point on the range. They're gonna be like, <laughs> like oh, 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 I better pay two hundred dollars for that gun. Um, meanwhile, they're actually decent firing guns. I just definitely wouldn't trust my life with them. Anyway, in the same sense of these snobs, they cross culture into the mushroom world. And you'll ask for an ID, and someone will say, oh, that's pheasant back. And they're like, no, that's the Squalosaurus medosis. And excuse me, like, what are you even talking about? Like the actual scientific name. It is a pretty... Yep. See how easy it is? You know, to see yeah. it, it looks like a, like a big shelf mushroom, kind of oyster mushroom in shape, similar to chicken of the woods in shape, but more jagged and not so round. Uh, but the spots on it. When you cut into it, it's cucumber or watermelon. I mean, it's it's one hundred percent hard to mix up with something else. But it looks like it's grown predominantly on trees for the most part. Yep, what I'm seeing. Yep, it almost always grows on like tree stumps uh, on the bottom of trees, um, logs that are kind of fallen down and leaned over. I find them all the time. Matter of fact, at Ritter Springs as well, past the little pond that they have there you know that Dude, i love it down there because yeah. a little bit of everything and they did you know they closed the cave they got two little sections of the cave well i didn't know is, is there actual gate up yeah you can't even go inside it's the gate probably hole due now, the to entrance. the white white nose fungus that they always say or the white nose disease for bats Dang, white nose fungus it's like some sort of disease that gets Easily transmitted, easily through, transmitted yeah. through clothes or humans or something. And so they, they block off access. But honestly, that one should have been regulated a while ago because kids have just graffitied and tore up the inside. And that's a shame because we went back in there a ways. long way. I, I'll be honest, guys. I got a little freaked out. I was, tr I was playing it cool for a long time because we were going what seemed like miles in the, in the cave just gradually got smaller and smaller. And I'm kind of a bigger dude, so I was getting a little claustrophobic and starting to have troubles breathing and stuff. And so I was just, you know, playing it cool. Like, all right, guys, uh, we're going to turn back now. You know, playing that, <laughs> playing that, and we finally did. I mean, we didn't, we didn't do it smart or safely at all. Like, we didn't have our redundant safety plan of backup lights. And it was just on clothes. a whim going no in one, there, too. Yeah, so no we one had knew we where we were. We didn't have the right clothing or gear. We had our cell phone lights. You know, it's not like that's that's not something to do. And we're not the only ones that went in that cave, obviously. Right. So 
tons and tons of people went in and just destroyed it. And I remember seeing tons of bats and wildlife in there like salamanders and the cave crickets. And I did, I will say, I noticed there was an absorbent amount 8 to 10 years ago. And now it's very rare to see a bat in that cave unless you go past four or five hundred feet back and good luck getting back there because it involves crawling on your belly and that same section used to be completely covered in cave crickets and i no longer see them so all the trash in the cave and the human traffic it definitely doesn't help when it's not regulated and maintained since 1976 populations in missouri have decreased by 70 percent of bats of bats yeah. yeah and that's that's a real sad thing because uh we're the cave state you know, there's thou what is it, eight thousand plus caves, eight to eleven thousand. Too many to count. Caves, and I don't remember. I don't know how many are actually mapped and explored. This is a spelunker's paradise here. Yeah, guys. all the limestone uh, that's here. There's just chamber after chamber that's hidden what underground. What was that sinkholes. cave that we went to a long time ago? That we had that. You know, we we just. We got away from the group. We just explored late at night, you know, and just started going in yeah, there. Yeah. We realized that everything was just a muddy mess after you get too far in, and <laughs> we just had tennis shoes and stuff on then. Yeah. But. I actually, uh, I used to work. I'm not going to say the name because I'm not going to incriminate myself. <laughs> yeah. But I used to work at a very famous, prominent, historical cave in the Springfield area. So you can do the Google. Um, it. I mean, you're talking really, really cool history. It's arguably the birth of country music and, like, bluegrass and stuff because you have people like Buck Owens that played inside of this cave, and it used to be basically a concert hall slash um, casino. You're talking card tables that they had inside of this cave. They had music. It would have been, I mean, like Vegas, honestly – in the middle of a cave, and that sounds so cool. You had women in dresses that go down to their ankles crawling in on their knees because the original entrance was the only entrance at this time. And the original entrance was found by a guy and his dog. Um, and you have to kind of crawl to get in and crawl to get up and around. And these women that scaled their way in, hats off to them, is super impressive. And they all just had... You know, lights, there was not a lot of power and stuff down there. They're not exactly bringing power right. you know, into the cave. So they used to have a full-blown casino with music and probably some food and dance hall. And they had gospel music, country music regularly going on in this cave. And so the history is entrenched. You know, if you were to, say, sneak off to one of the side passages that's not regularly you know allowed to a regular person you can see some really cool things like wildlife that you know normally hides from people and that's what we did um <laughs> while i was working here I, I remember you had a friend george um george mandrake and we decided to uh do a little exploring yeah spelunk this cave at nighttime because that obviously is the only time we're going to go and not get caught and i i was aware of the lack of uh security um for this cave you know there's 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 a, like an alarm system and security cameras on the main facility but we got past the, the laser beams and the barking dogs we'll yep. just say that <clears throat> yep walked up to the gate um kind of 
opened opened the uh, big sliding steel door and we snuck in, closed it behind us and walked in the cave and used my headlamp to turn on the light sensor lights, walked to the back of the cave and just kind of explored. And I remember we went off to the left side, which is kind of the children's educational classroom that they have just before going down this passage that leads off into the dark. And I remember exploring this during hours while I was maintaining the cave road gravel section with the shovel kind of flattening out, you know, potholes and stuff like that. Um, I would sneak off to the side and explore little sections at a time and pop back when I'd hear a, you know, the very next tour guide truck coming right, in. Right. I'd sneak off. And I remember this section at the very end of it, it goes probably 150 feet back and then it goes to a spot where it stops where it's like a cave in and a collapse but there's a there is what kind of cave was it was a pretty cavernous cave one would say the cavern was deep the cavern had a certain echo about it but when I went to the back of this cavern there was a pool, and inside of this pool, I kid you not, it was lined with black pool liner. Like something you would line your back pond with. And inside of this pond, there was but one fish. Yeah, but seriously. So this one fish that was hanging out in this pond, I couldn't believe it. It was see-through. It was one of the transparent cave fish. Where it didn't need sunlight, would never see sunlight, so yeah, it's correct. translucent. That's pretty and cool. They used to be extremely prevalent, of course, in the cave, but just like we mentioned earlier, due to human interaction, due to you know lack of food, ecosystem, whatever it may be, uh, these fish kind of waned off they disappeared more and more. And here's one swimming by itself in this clearly man-made little pond. So I think it was some sort of observation area at one time, you know, that they would show the kids in the classroom come in. But imagine me not knowing it's back there and stumbling upon it by myself in the pitch black with my phone light out, you know, and seeing that. So I remember we went back there to see that. We saw a couple bats. Um, we wanted to go down because there's two... There's two sinkhole areas in this cave that go down to the lower levels. The lower levels are not accessible by regular people. Um, and to get down there, you're definitely going to need climbing gear, rope, harness, um, you know, all sorts of spelunking gear. And you're definitely going to want boots and, uh, what do they call those, rubber bibs. Yeah. It, it's, You'll get pretty muddy. It's sure. full of clay. Clay, and, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be a slippery mess. And you don't go any time during the rainy season pretty much because that floods down there and theoretically the guy that worked there he was my boss um in this particular uh branch of this cave um he told me that you could actually crawl all the way out from That's going awesome. to the bottom lower level but he said he's done it once and even he was freaked out and he was He's a he big was like a professional, wasn't he, for the most part? Well, no, but he was a biker guy, and he was a big, big, burly dude with a beard, and he wasn't scared of nothing, but he said he wouldn't do it again. Hmm. <laughs> he said there were there's a couple sections where the roof is on your back, 
and the floor is on your chest. You know, Yikes. and no you are, you're, you're sliding through like you're swimming on wet clay, and you just, I'm not okay with that. I'm pretty sure he said it's like a mile and a quarter until you end up at the opening, which I don't even know where that yeah, opening well, is. Yeah, well, say, where does it even pop out If at? it's still accessible, you know, that's something I'm not, I'm not going to do. That was previously mapped out. I'm not sure how, you know, recent that mapping was. But we went around, and I remember on the way out of the cave, probably the second or third chamber before you leave the cave, um, you kind of get to see this big rock shelf on your right and it seems like there's a path up top i think it's 25 or so feet high well of course being on foot and not on a jeep hint hint (laughs) we jumped out and we crawled up the side and we were able to get on that top path and kind of overlook and that top part overlooks the entrance of the cave as well as the exit you know that's where Probably the most scenic part of it yeah that's part. where they they actually take your picture in the beginning of this particular cave when you pull in and you stop and after they tell you the first section of the story they stand on that big mound and they look down at you and they take your picture well just over that mound behind them is where we were standing on top and over that mound is basically the end of this massive loop that leads to the second entrance which is which is originally that second entrance or the exit is the actual original entrance to the cave, which they excavated and blew out, but it used to be very small, small enough that when they first discovered the cave, the guy's dog ran in and he had trouble getting into it to run after his dog because his dog wouldn't come out. He saw this hole and he ran in. So he had his lantern and was trying to call him, call him, call him, and he wouldn't get out, so he had to crawl in and realize he crawled into a massive cavern. So he kept going back, found his dog, and they explored it, came back, realized this needs to be explored further because they couldn't go too far. He didn't have the right provisions at the time. You know, what a crazy, crazy time, like exploring caves, you know, exploring new worlds on the ocean, you know, or even exploring places like Antarctica, that must have been just crazy, crazy experience. The whole yeah, be new pretty world. brave to just you know go yeah. out not knowing what's out there and just hope for the best. <laughs> or like James Cameron going down to the bottom of the ocean, not once but like multiple times, and in preparation for this new film that he's doing, um, I'm really excited about that. And I know he's doing Avatar too. Oh, that's going to be fantastic. I loved Avatar. Who didn't like Avatar? It's an amazing movie. Beautiful colors. Just vivid colors. Yeah, I saw that in theaters. Um, and I didn't see it again for a while after that. But I think I watched it a year later. Held up pretty well. I mean, the story's cool. And I know that one of the best rides in Disney World in Orlando, Florida, is the Avatar ride. That's what I've heard. Hmm, nice. I, I haven't ridden it, but everyone always talks about how that's that's like the ride to go to if you make time for that ride apparently but while we're on the topics of caves are there any other caves you want to talk about there's a couple caves uh, i'm trying to think i know around the haha tonka area there's they had a couple caves that <clears throat> if i'm not mistaken that they were used for uh 
when a prohibition was happening, you know, and liquor was illegal and you couldn't do anything like that. They had all kinds of moonshiners down in those caves just making vats of just moonshine. Yeah, that war on alcohol really worked out best for them. Right. <laughs> right. We all know that, listen, guys, whenever you hear war on blank coming from the government, you can generally say it's probably like a – It'll go belly up pretty soon. There's I like a to say opposite effect farming potatoes. For. They're basically farming potatoes. Like they're the ones that have the restaurants and they're selling French fries. So they're never going to give up their farm. They're always going to farm potatoes. They're just going to keep the problem so they can have a solution. You know, that's kind of the whole the whole thing there. And the war on everything is a sham. <laughs> the war on terrorism. We all know what Bush did to us with that and led us for 20 years, you know, into just a war on ideology and nothing and a war on drugs. How many decades have been wasted on that? You know, a war on whatever is absolutely crazy. I'm trying to think in my lifetime, I've just heard that so many times where I've just become, you know, just, I, it doesn't even phase me anymore. No, because it gets your attention. A war on, oh, a war. This, this must be a real problem because they're calling it a war. So we, we have to have solutions now. War requires solutions now. Well, that that's very easy to trick people. And we've all been tricked. I mean, I was tricked forever, and you eventually just got to kind of find your own way, ask your own questions, and realize the war on something is a joke. I've never bought it. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> My lady just brought us some delicious – is this shrimp? What is this, this shrimp? Is, this is scramp. This is sriracha scramp. Oh, dude, I tell you what, it just melts in my mouth, and it's delectable. It's uh, it's like air fried. Have you seen that uh, Australian dude that does the air fryer jingles? Air fryer jingle? Oh, my gosh. It's hilarious. This guy, you got to pull it up. This guy loves his air fryer. He loves his air fryer so much. That he sings songs. He creates these little jingles for his recipes that he makes. It's, it's absolutely amazing. If you just YouTube air fryer jingles. Let's see. That's it. And you want to make a beautiful breakfast. Then put these things in an air fryer. And out comes a beautiful <laughs> breakfast. <laughs> That's great. And he has tons of them. Yeah. He has like 20 different jingles. And it's it's pretty amazing. But what people – I think it's hilarious that people don't know what air fryers are. But they – I was air frying this thing. I just air fried this. You know that it's a miniature convection oven is all it is. Yeah, I thought it was just a, it's a heating element with a, with a fan that blows the That's heat. That's a convection That's oven. <laughs> That's a convection oven. Right. So with that in mind, you can do some amazing things in a convection oven. So you can do some amazing things in your air fryer. That's a really cool a really cool piece of equipment. I'm normally not one for like gadgets and kitchen yeah. gadgets and I'm one hundred percent never for one 
particular use items. Like Texas this is too the much tomato, right? Corer extraordinaire. Listen, so you got learn, one job. Yeah, learn to use a knife. <laughs> like one is none, two is one. The military got that right for sure. Having an item that's just one particular use is of no use, you know, to me. It takes up too much space. You can just do the same thing with a knife, like all these ridiculous gadgets, like the one to. And everyone had it. Listen to this. How crazy is this? The little hard-boiled egg wire slicer. The little put your egg yeah. in the little egg-shaped dish and slide a little cheese wire down and let it slice your egg for you so you too can have perfectly sliced egg. Tell you what, my lady's got one of those onion chopper things, and oh, yeah. that's amazing because I hate the smell of onions, and you know, no one wants to tear up and stuff. Just pop that thing in, down yeah. with it. You know, there's some uses for that for sure, especially if you want minced onions or just some rough cut onions really quick or rough cut anything like garlic. You can just hit it five to ten times, and it's pretty good. I'll tell you what, in this shed right now, mm -hmm. all right, this studio, the studio. shed studio. There's a Ronco rotisserie just sitting in a box. Somewhere. You know what you got to do with the Ronco? You got to set the time and forget it. That's you it. set it and forget it, folks. That's right. But call in the next five minutes. Who cares? Just I used to gadgets love those. and gizmos like those. You know, I used to love those in the Miracle Blade. Oh, the whole dude. Miracle Blade knife system. I love all the ass seen on TV. I don't know why. It's just mm. drawing. I won't ever buy the crap. Of course, but I'll make why. fun of it the entire Think about time. It like this. So great. It's methodically set out and designed <clears throat> to keep your attention. Right. But then if you have any sort of like awareness at all, <laughs> you take a step back and she's fumbling with like Right. Mail. That, those are my oh! favorite. <laughs> like, Do you have hate you ever mail? almost broken your neck getting your mail from your mailbox? Does pesky mail cause paper cuts? <laughs> Do you always fumble your mail and drop it outside only to have the wind <laughs> carry it away? And they're all blowing <laughs> Introducing the mail suction three thousand. With four easy payments of $39.95. We can include it with seven payments of $16.95 for shipping and handling. <laughs> but wait, if you call in the next five minutes, we'll also double your order. These things are so bad, folks, you'll need two. Yeah, I. they're so entertaining, but it's for the same reason. Not for the reason that they intend, but it's for the reason that I like Jersey Shore. Because it's a just documentary a dumpster of, fire of yes, awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's a horrible accident that you might hit the car in front of you, but you gotta look, you gotta look and just slow down because it's crazy. I'll tell you what, there is one item that I love that's an ass scene on TV that was given to me by my grandma. Is these little they're like copper sheets or something. We put them on the grill or the uh, oh, oh yeah. dude, they're so great nonstick. Yeah, we'll put a big salmon in the smoker just on this, this like copper sheets. It's real thin, and dude, it's perfect. No cleanup, you know, real easy. Those are like the uh, silicon baking mats for ovens where you can pour candy and stuff like that and cook yeah. on them, and they're yeah. really useful. Of course, anything saucy like that you throw on a grill, it's gonna be saucy. dropping, dropping a lot, but. At some point, we did talk about Ha Ha Tonka, and then you veered off the sauciness. I've been going to Ha Ha Tonka for so long. I mean, we I, Yeah, have. we went, like, whenever we are kids, Dad took us way up there. That was before whenever they had it all shut off. 
Yeah, it, it was a little different 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah, we could go on the castle ruins, like, on the very back, and now you can't even get in there at all. You literally have to jump, like, a couple fences just to get back there to see the beautiful scenic view, overlook, and... Yeah, I mean, we don't encourage or incentivize anything, but listen. I say this to a variety of topics, and it rings true. That's why I say it. <clears throat> You're only 15 once. You're only 20 once. You're only 30 once. There's no one around, no security. You know you're not doing damage. You know you're not harming anything. Sometimes taking a risk can pay off with a really cool, unique reward. Like if they close at 7, you get there about 5 five till, you know? Yeah. And then when everyone's kind of clearing out, you jump the gate real quick and go take a cool couple pictures. I know it is unsafe because they said some of the arches, like the foundations, kind of messing yeah. up on them. So they might, you know, crumble on your head. Sunset's well, you beautiful know, a little, out there. Little, yeah. If you're able to catch it, you know, like the views at Haha ha Tonka State Park are crazy. And they have one of my favorite trail hikes. Yeah, a lot there. of trails there. A lot of cool trails. Their loop is fantastic. If you want some really good exercise, it's technically a moderate rating. So you're not talking about beginner. But in my eyes, it is. But I kind of expect <laughs> more of people than people expect of themselves sometimes. Um, the moderate aspect to it comes with just the um the severe amount of stairs that you have it's not like a treacherous rocky up and down up and down you have a i'm going downstairs for the next hour yeah and it's how you know how many stairs was it six to eight hundred or something like that stairs on hawatonka going down to the spring um at the base but the views the smells you know the sounds, it's awesome no matter what time of year you go out there. If you go out in the spring, you're going to get lots of the birds. Just the one trail going up the actual overlook is 316. Yep. Okay. But if you take so the I whole big loop, it doesn't, yeah, ha yeah. it doesn't have all the, you know, all the yeah. stairs. But. Which the whole loop is 3.9 miles. So plan for that. If you're a fast, fast hiker, fast walker, that's a really good half a day trip, and you can kind of make your way up the highway and stop at various places. And like I want to say they, it's like the uh, let me the twelfth largest spring in the states there. Yeah, that's that and it's beautiful, me. absolute beautiful crystal clear water. It's I mean it's it's impeccable. And Lake of the Ozarks, you know, is just pretty much downriver. It's it's like right there, the Castle Ruins. When you're up there, you can see it if you look to your right. Lake of the Ozarks is right there. Um, they have Whispering Dell Sinkhole. That's that's the name of the sinkhole. Um, if you make that loop, you go. You kind of start at the Castle Ruins, which is definitely my favorite place. Um, the views are incredible, really high elevation. And you don't necessarily have to take stairs all the way up. They have a driving. No, you can sure. go up there and park, and you just can park walk. You know, at quarter the mile maybe. Yeah. yeah, you can park kind of at the bottom. They have. One, two, three, four different parking spots. I'm looking at the map in this book. Um, it's by Countryman Travelers. It's called 50 Hikes in the Ozarks, written by Johnny Molloy. Um, this is number 30. On page 164, it's Ahatonka State Park, and they're talking about there's four different parking spots. So, if you know, judge, judge your party. Judge your company. Talk to them. See what kind of mood they're in. Judge the time you have, too. If you don't have much time, park at the castle trail road parking lot you can a five minute walk to your right up an asphalt road and you're at the castle ruins there's no trail needed um if you want to see you know the spring but you you don't really want to walk too far you can park at kind of near the post office um off of highway d 
there is there's actually water access place. too. There's a whole bunch of people swimming and stuff. Yeah, we park right there. Yep. And yeah, you just walk right there. They even have a uh, bathrooms right there. Very easy to access. And yeah, that's part of the beautiful. island trail. Uh, that's underneath the castle, um, directly under. If you're at the castle looking down, you look straight down. You'll see this kind of island where the balanced rock is. That's another famous place. Is this rock? This is balancing on a cliff. Um, really cool. The island trail has a little small loop. Um, you can go out there and kind of swim and fish a little bit. The spring's got really good, really good fishing. The water's a little low on some areas, but I know there's lots of spots you can get. We got things like the natural bridge. It's really beautiful. The water tower. That's yeah, really cool. Yeah, the water cool. tower. I mean, that's just awesome engineering because basically they, they had to construct a way to get water from the spring yeah. many hundreds of feet below them all the way pumped all the way up to that huge mansion castle you know yeah you're talking about a decline very incredible of, of almost 500 feet here it looks like in elevation from the top of the castle ruins to the bottom so it's a uh, the scenic views are amazing yeah absolutely trying to think of uh what else do they have there i want to say there's a cave down there um like i said for the bootleggers but i thought there was one other um i know there's a cave i don't think it's open obviously mm -hmm. to the public right um in the sinkhole you can see i mean it's gorgeous blue crystal clear water you know out there it's it's so cold, too. When you go down the river a little bit and you go stand in it, it's no joke how cold that is. But, of course, like Lebanon area, that's that's a river town. You got Lake of the Ozarks out there. You got this spring right here, which is Whispering Dell sinkhole that's pumping up uh, spring water into Lake of the Ozarks. You also have the Niangua out oh, yeah. there that's really popular. That's fed by Bennett Springs, um, which, you know, that's extremely popular fly fishing for trout it's farm trout out there it's amazing i've i've went out there to fly fish a few times with spinning rod i'm gonna go out there fly rod next time uh another cave i like is marvel cave up in silver dollar city yep. i know it's kind of touristy and stuff but i mean it's still history is awesome great and it's beautiful the history is great with it the story is great with it that was always my favorite thing as a kid and i i know it just it pissed mom and dad off so much because no one wants to spend you know two hours walking up and down and walking stairs up all with, those stairs with three kids yeah. like it had to be annoying but oh that was always my favorite and it was so nice it's like 60 degrees you know all the time or yeah. 62 and then we'd go 300 feet below the surface basically yeah and i remember a cool fact they flew hot air balloons in there, remember, in one oh, yeah. really cool fact in of the cathedral how big room? it is. You yeah, can fit massive. the Statue of Liberty inside of there, and just the torch would be sticking out of the massive skylight that makes up the top of the hole. It's a big sinkhole um, in the cathedral room. And and what, I think my favorite thing in that cave was coming out, that trolley mine cart that they oh, pull yeah. you out on at that Have steep it going angle. A very steep angle, just straight up and out, basically. Yep. And then when you finally hit flat ground, it's like leaning you forward because right. it's so steep to compensate. Yeah, that was that was really cool. That was a cool one. I also went to another one near uh, near Lebanon years ago, and I can't remember the name of it. Um, they do tours out there. It's not Wedding Cave. Uh, 
They got Fantastic it's Caverns, near, it's Small near and ha Civil ha K, River Bluff. It's near Ha Ha Tonka area. Um, probably about within five or ten miles from it. I actually got pulled over by Highway Patrol. Bridal Cave? Bridal Cave. That is it. I stopped there one time uh, kind of on a little road trip up to Ha Ha Tonka, and I saw a sign for you. It'd be cool to stop there first, you know, on the day trip. It's part of what I was talking about, you know, experience. Stop at an Amish store, pick up some stuff, maybe stop at Osceola Cheese Factory if you're coming from that way. Um, I decided to stop at Bridal Cave and see if they were open after stopping at a farmer's market and picking up some vegetables and fruit. They weren't, and turned around to start going back to uh, Ha Ha Tonka and got pulled over by Highway Patrol because I was driving like an idiot. My head was on a swivel, driving like oh, 10 no. miles an hour on a 40-mile-an-hour road because I didn't know where I was supposed to go. And I had explained to him, <laughs> like, listen, I have not been drinking. <laughs> I just – my GPS didn't load yet. I'm just I lost. Want, I didn't want to make a wrong turn again because signal's spotty up there. Yeah, he was pretty nice. He let me go. He actually gave me a, a better way to Ha Ha Tonka. They were having some road construction on the highway, so he saved me about seven miles. Oh, that's sweet of him. Yep, yep, pretty nice. Not all your interactions with Missouri State Highway Patrolmen are going to be extremely sweet, but, you know. Right. They <laughs> Sometimes it's it's a little scary. They're very stern, those hats. <laughs> they have them down covering their brow I to think like that's hide how emotion. they're designed to be oh so yeah they're supposed to be intimidating you it's, know it's just like the drill instructor but that's so weird because it's like i didn't sign up for the military yeah i know there's one cave uh going down towards eureka springs see what that cave is because i stopped at that one too but this was about six months ago, uh, probably eight months ago now. Still kind of, you know, in the pandemic where everyone was still kind of doing the mask thing. And Missouri had just kind of lightened up for most counties at this time. But when we went down to Arkansas, this particular county, you know, they still had their mask mandate. So we pulled up and I just didn't have my mask at all. I didn't plan for that. And... Otherwise, I would have liked to go in that because it, it looked really cool. It was, it was actually just down the road from where you got your truck. Well, it's got uh, Onyx Cave, Grotto Spring. I think it's Underground, Onyx. Cosmic Cavern. I'm not for sure. There's a whole it, bunch of them. Onyx or Cosmic, but I I want to say it's Onyx. But like I said, I haven't gone to it, but I need to go. I'm a sucker for caves. I'm yeah. just a sucker. If for I'm caves. prepared and I have like a headlamp or something and boots and you know what I mean, like. A little bit more gear than absolutely. I'll go way deeper, as, you know, before I have a panic attack. So I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty claustrophobic, but I also had a fear of heights. So I think that's why I like doing that kind of thing. I like exposing, you know, like psychology exposure therapy. You just kind of slowly expose yourself to the things you're scared of and yeah. gradually. Yeah, you'll grow. Absolutely you'll you'll have a control over it. You might not get over your fear, you know. But Well, you'll... my biggest thing was the air was so thin, so deep into the cave, so it was actually hard to breathe. You do have to be careful to of that. Yeah. You, you got to be careful. There just was no movement of air at all. And just That's for sure. You don't want to just go exploring a random cave that you pull up on. I mean, that's a dangerous, dangerous idea. Um not only with the safety redundancy with lights and, you know, safety gear, maybe a first aid kit, radios, um, someone else on the outside knowing where you're at, things like that.
but you need to have a map of the cave, if not memorized, but with you. Um, and you need to know things like that. Like, if there's no map and if it's not explored, you might not know if the oxygen levels are sufficient enough at the back of the cave. And you or might if be, there's just a drop to a sinkhole to your death, you yeah. know, one one rock away or something. So, yeah, so it's it's pretty understanding why uh, professional biologists and spelunkers don't want just people walking around, you know, caves because you can do a lot of damage to yourself or something else without you knowing about it. Um, I mean, I do love a good cave, though. Ooh. A real good cave. There's something about the reverb. When you throw the reverb on, I always just want to sound like Neil deGrasse Tyson. When you talk about the galaxies, the many stars that surround the Milky Way, we alone have life, or do we? The endless search that scientists have for life on other planets or even dimensions never surpass the thoughts of mankind. Beautiful. It Absolutely is. loved it. It is fun. Neil's such a fun fun guy. I don't care if he's a scientist shill, <laughs> which he might be. He could be, but he is very knowledgeable about many things that I am not even close, you know, I have a clue about. He makes so. science fun, interesting, and almost understandable. And that's a big deal because Man, the science community, they actually need people like him. Not like a Bill Nye. He's not a scientist. I'm talking about a Neil deGrasse Tyson and people like him that are able to talk about things like astrophysics. Well, and have you ever seen where he proves the fallacies of certain movies to you know a certain oh, degree yes. of like, hey, well, his hair wasn't standing up. Yes. It should be zero gravity. That should was be, on you know, flaring Martian, up. You know, when cool. he's talking about right. how – People get mad at the wrong things, and it's so funny. It shows the ignorance in science, and that's why he's doing what he's doing, right? Is teaching and going on Rogan and people like that, and GQ and doing these videos and debunking these videos. It's so funny to educate people and hear their rebuttal because people's quarrels with The Martian, with Matt Damon, right? You you remember that movie? He goes to Mars, and they go to try and terraform Mars, and they go and try and grow plants and all this. People's problem, the biggest problem well, they had. he got had. stuck there, remember? Yeah. And what did he do? He fabricated a way to blast off in the shuttle and get back out of the atmosphere to the shuttle, correct? No. He stayed there until they came. Remember? He had to survive. He had to ration his potatoes. He had to create a yes, greenhouse. But, but oh, to get out eventually, right, he right, got yeah. off Mars. Right. And to get back, what did he do? He sealed the roof with what? plastic mylar and duct tape and yeah. people were like there's no way <laughs> you can blast off from a planet with duct tape and mylar and be okay and neil's like that's what you get mad about right he's like not only is the atmosphere so thin on mars that part is true that would work he's like but what you missed is the most obvious and basic thing their hair was never standing up like zero gravity in the entire movie. Yeah, that's funny. And a lot of these movies bothered to call Neil in his department because people do this now. And M. Night Shyamalan does it. People do this now to call Just Neil to get, perfect to get accuracy. the sky that's chart awesome. right. Because they made such a bad mistake on the Titanic 
that the sky would not look like that, the stars would not be in that but position. That doesn't really affect the, mo- the movie at all. No, but it does to people like Neil that know. Yeah. And they're like, well, that's ridiculous because that's, what, 1911 or whatever, 1912, something like that, and the moon would not be there. Saturn would not be there. You know, Jupiter would not be in that part of the sky. It's, it is funny. It's interesting. But if they go to the, you know, struggle and the hassle to try and add in all these other, you know, little nuances here and there to make it realistic or CGI this and, you know, green screen certain areas and do all these computer generated things, you would think that they would want to get everything right, not just, you know, most of it. Right. And so, and all you have to do is call Neil. Get a good old fact checker And they will give you the sky for whatever date in human history. That's crazy. It's amazing. It's amazing. You want to talk about something crazy? Let me hear it. So. While you're telling me that, I'm going to eat another shrimp right here. Oh, yeah. Eat the scramp. So. We all know flat earthers to some degree. Maybe you have them in your family. Maybe you have them in your friend group. Maybe you've just seen them online or heard them on a podcast. Now, for the most part, these guys are crazy. They, they're, Their evidence that they bring up is often untestable. It's hearsay. You know, It's things that you just say in passing, load fact, 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 fact one after another with no rebuttal, and generally to a congregation of believers. So you're not going to have a long-standing conversation where someone debates them generally, right? So I've been listening to one of my favorite podcasts ever, man. It's so good. It's a tinfoil hat with Sam Tripoli. It's so good. They talk about anything and everything. Nothing is off the table, conspiracy-wise, right? So they even opened up their admission to where... If you want to come on the podcast, you can. You just submit the admission form, and you got to have like eight to ten legitimate talking points. Nice. Right? Legitimate. And then they'll hear you out, and they'll talk about it. They'll break it down. Oh, some of the topics are more unbelievable than others, obviously. Right. And then sometimes you start getting chills, and then the, the wheels in your head start turning, and then you start connecting puzzle pieces together. And you see bigger picture things. Well, it's possible to be sincerely wrong. We all believe that. I mean, we all know that. I can say, I can sit here in front of you and say, gravity does not exist, Tyler. And I just dropped a cap from my hand. And it it just fell, ladies and gentlemen. In the realm that we live in, to our understanding and knowledge, gravity does exist and we're bound to that. So, I can skew it and say you know half the true gravity exists only when we're watching it like the if the tree falls in the forest does it make a sound thing you know well is that true well it's really hard to test it because if you're there that destroys the whole question right right so that's that goes to what do they what do they call it Uh, observational um interruption or something right so this is the theory of just by you observing said thing, whatever it may be, and we will apply it to astrophysics and space because this applies to dark matter and black holes. And now I'll preface this, I'll pause and preface it. I know nothing 
of what I'm going to talk. I am repeating information as best as I can to you. Okay. So just by you observing something, you change its status and or what it's doing or where it is or where it's going to go. It's kind of like the butterfly effect. You know, you have these little effects on things that have massive effects later without you even realizing it. Um, this this bystander effect is a, is a really weird thing. And when they're talking about things like dark matter, like they, they try and say that we've, we've, we've proven dark matter exists. We've proven, you know, black holes. I think some people even claim that China's created like lab created black holes. You know, I wouldn't doubt it. It's, it's crazy stuff. But going to the flat earth thing, what if maybe some of what they're saying is true, right? Like they talk about, and when I say the flat earth, this is a massive community of people that do not agree on anything. They all have different variations, you know, of what is flat, what is round, what is a simulation, what is, you know, it's, it, it really is crazy and it goes nowhere. So you can't really just say the flat earth community like I did. It's a little too generic, but in general, we're just going to talk like that for now because we're not going to go too deep. I'm not trying to start a whole conspiracy thing, but it is fun to talk about. <laughs> um, people talk about how when you're in Australia, you see a different face of the moon than what you would if you're in America or on the opposite side of the world. Um, and some flat earthers think that, well, this is clearly clearly an indication that the moon is also flat and that it very well could be a projection on what is the glacial wall what is like what they call uh man what is that the uh oh man what do you remember off it's always sunny when it's mac day when it's Mac Day, and he's reading the Bible verse, and he's talking about the firmament. Thank you. Firmament. Okay. The okay. firmament. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's the word I was looking for. <laughs> the, this word is called the firmament. What is this basically a wall that think of our existence inside of a cube, Tyler, like the earth, the moon, the sun, maybe some planets in our solar system. But what's weird is the observable universe keeps growing. Correct. But think about it like this. When you watch TV and you put on Netflix and you hit continue watching, it continues playing shows, correct? But you're not out there in the pixels going past the pixels. Right. So there, I'm saying, this is not my belief. I'm just talking about it because it's fun. Their belief is there's this thing called the firmament, which is the walls of our existence. The walls the of our of dimension. No, it's the walls of our dimension. And what we see, what we know as the moon, is like a projection on this firmament. And the sun, they say, is possibly at the edge of this firmament. And there's even a second sun on the other side of the firmament. And it's only visible you know, a couple times. And there's a couple um, of these conspiracy guys that have you know, videos that they've taken because they argue that the sun doesn't set, but it more so fades away. Like, you know how 4D 
if I hold my phone like this in front of you mm-hmm. and I move it up and down and then left and right and then forward and back, well, there's 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 a fourth D of it just getting smaller and smaller, right? Just a forever. Just going, yes, going away. <clears throat> so they say they have videos of the sun on a coast because you can't see it on land because it sets behind land. There's always, you know, there's there's like a little something slight. on the horizon. Yeah, but there are videos and it's very weird. And they do the same thing with ships that are like 20 miles out, which is 15 to 20 miles is about what we can see with our eyes on the ocean. Mm. That's about Until the end of our like range, a blur, hazy, and or, kind of yeah. fades away. And they have videos of the sun quote setting, but when they zoom in, zoom in, zoom in, zoom in, the sun is not going down like what it looks like. The sun gets smaller and smaller and smaller until it just kind of turns off. So they look at this footage, and these people see that, and kind of understandably so, that there might be something weird going on. Why is the sun not setting? Why are we not just spinning around and the sun staying the same size and just spinning around? Why is it getting smaller? This is so weird. Yeah, but we're on a different axis going around the sun, so you correct. Know. And that, and that could honestly be it, because again, we're not physicists. That could be the answer right. that they might be overlooking is maybe that slight wobble on the axis is what's causing it to shrink. But is it doing it rhythmically every single time at the exact same time as everyone sees the sun setting on their own horizon? Because that's when stuff gets kind of weird. It where I like to start. Okay, you got me a little bit. Now I'm going to listen to you on the rabbit hole. Yeah, I'm going to listen to you a little bit, and I'm going to hear a little more because there's there's just so much that we don't know. And in general, we don't know most things, to be honest. we Most people, they like to think that we have these understanding of life and processes and the universe and creation or death or after death. When we truly, no one knows any of that for a variety of reasons, but in my belief, it coincides with my faith because it's not pertinent to our daily life. You know, we don't necessarily have to know the existence of the universe, exactly how it happened. Well, and our brains can't fathom forever. I mean, it's so crazy. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you see a sunset with seven colors in it. And you're awestruck for like a minute or two. I want to I want to say that a human can see 16 billion colors. If I'm not mistaken, I heard that the other day. I was like, that is crazy. Yeah, and that's another thing too. We, our bodies are in this realm. And we're, we have uh, kind of a scientific weight to our body where they're able to weigh us, you know, weigh our matter and get us down to like what we are, you know, water and carbon and all this. Like we're basically a big mushy meat bag of juice, right? A really weak, fragile body of homeostasis. It's really crazy. Um, but. Okay. I, I did misspoke. It does say we can see about a hundred million shades I'm sorry, one million shades, but there's crazy. some rare people that have four types of cones in their eyes, so they can include an additional orange one or able to see a hundred million shades. Oh, the quad conal. So, yeah, that quad cone, so they can see all the colors of the rainbow. Q C 
I'm not sure I'm a QC guy. I'm more, I'm more of a biconal, triconal kind of guy. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't. See, we don't mess with those quad. No, I don't see in the metaphysical world here, the spiritual world. But that's what I'm actually all segmenting into with the. They've you know done a breakdown of our body and they've got it down to what like ninety eight or ninety nine point something percent of what we're made of or what? Yeah, but they can't accommodate for a hundred percent. That there's something that's producing an atomic weight. Oh, that they have mass not in our body, and it's not accounted for. That's weird. That's what I'll just go ahead and say. That's our soul. That's our knowledge. You that's think our, our soul existence. has a weight. I think that is the. I'm just gonna call it it. It's the variable. It's the unknown. Maybe it's, it's the soul hole. You know that little spot in your body that just contains the soul. Maybe the soul is not actually. A punitive it's like thing. A cavity. It's just yeah. It's just a hole there. The soul hole. That's what I'm going for. But see, I don't think nothing has weight. But something has weight. Does everything have weight? Everything that is something has weight. Even emotion has weight. Oh, think about deep. It. No, think about it for real. I can say a sound that makes up a word, or I can play a sound that is music. And I can literally pass emotion to you. There's something happening. That that's a, that's a something. That's true. But and you here's get the that. thing: Can you smell the color nine? That was uh, <laughs> some CD that uh, you had a long time uh, ago. Uh, I want to say Chris Rice. Is that Chris right? Rice? That's, that's it. it. I I actually listened. It's a to good him song. About a year ago. No, he, there's another song on that same album that's better. It's a wonderful song. I'm gonna look it up. You t- you talk for a second, yeah. About that, we were listening to uh, the cartoon song the other day because a uh, little guy uh, he's wanting to be Kermit for Halloween. So I'm like, you better bone up on that, uh, you know, impression of him. <laughs> Hi yo, this is Kermit the Frog here. I'm Hi, terrible. Oh, right. Kermit the Frog. That's here. better. That's way better. Yeah, you got to get a little bit more. Uh, everybody it's, loves uh, Raymond. Sort of the back of the throat, though. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, Ray. Uh, yeah. Yeah, let me see. What is his albums here? I can't remember what that one is called. I know. Was it The Circus or something? Smell, no, it was Smell the Color 9 album. Yeah. Okay, the song. There was a single, I Belong. Believe. It's a piano song, and the lyrics are really, really great. It's a, it's, it's a song for everybody, but especially for people that have faith. Um, it's it's a really, really good song. Uh, but, yeah, that was a great album. That was, 2000 written in 2000 questions for heaven smell the color nine uh belong that's song number three that's the song i'm talking about face of christ but yeah that's that's the same uh guy that did the cartoon song back in the day you know that that you were just talking about with all the cartoon voices he did like yogi bear and (laughs) yeah that that was hallelujah bullwinkle or something Another thing I used to listen to was Bunch of Believers, B.O.B. Yeah. That was a Christian ska band. <laughs> that was, it was so, so I will crazy. say, we got, like, kind of a diverse, I know we grew up, like, mom was pretty uh, strict on only listening to Christian and stuff, and I remember whenever my older brother brought back an album that had ACDC on it, had all these, it was just a great mix of just Red Hot Chili ba- Peppers, oh, Blink-182. the Chili Peppers in yep, my I eyes were... That. I literally would put it in my Sony Walkman, all right? 
while I was sleeping. I put it on headphones and just listened to just music that blew me away that I just had no idea was even out there. Yeah, and, you know, to be fair, the era that we grew up in, the 90s, going into, like, 2000, that was the era for some phenomenal Christian music. For some reason, the Christian music genre was on fire. You had Newsboys, Jars of Clay, DC Talk. You had all these guys like T Bone, the rapper. Oh, he was the real street preacher. He, he was a gangbanger that used to sell crack in California, and then turned his life around, yeah. found Jesus, and now he's a Christian rapper. And yeah. I remember I would take that uh, whenever we go to an away. Preacher? Yeah, I we go to an away game right on the bus playing football, and then I'd let hey buddy, hey listen to this real quick, see if this guy you know because I knew they were heavy into rap. I'm like listen to this guy, see if he's good, and then. T-Bone, you know, flip a quarter in the air, quarter head to tail, just super fast <laughs> ripping, and then like, holy cow, who's this guy? I'm like, yeah, he's a Christian rapper, dude. Like, oh, yeah. I told you, dude. Yeah, and, you know, I love, like, Busta Rhyme, Twista, Tyga, all those from back in the mid-2000s that were really, really fast, fast rap. You get you listen to one or two audible words, you know. But guess what? T Bone was doing it in ninety five, ninety six, ninety seven, ninety eight, ninety nine. He put out the Last Street Preacher whenever Chronic came out with Dr. Dre and Snoop. And I'll tell you what, you re listen to that album, Tyler. A lot of it is very similar. It's all West Coast beats. It's the same. Very similar. You'll have Dre. You'll have Snoop. You'll have all sorts of kind of kind of beats you know obviously those producers and rappers are not on t-bone but you're going to have the influences because that's what was going on and t-bone was going on at the time you know he was he was rapping with secular rappers still like people had respect for him especially for his background where he came from i mean this guy was a gangbanger and a crack dealer and he turned his whole life around he made better decisions he found god as a family started rapping and witnessing through his music and man whatever your craft is if if you're doing the best you can and if you manage to get the opportunity you know to witness and tell people how you managed to come through and turn your whole life around like that definitely do it i always love following people like that yeah absolutely it's it is crazy you know just uh the different type of music we got kind of I mean, I remember riding around with Dad, and then you know Seeger'd be coming over yeah, the the like radio. Southern or, classic rock was yeah, mostly so, what and he we got a to little it. bit of everything. So it's just a good, healthy mix. And as I'm growing up, I always have different kind of genres I dip into every now and then. But man, I just I love music. That's I, I think it all started all you know back in the day whenever listen started off with Christian music. Unfortunately, I'll tell you what though, I would say one of the two most influential bands growing up, without a doubt. Pink Floyd is number one. Animals is the greatest album that they ever written. It's top five albums of all time for me of classic rock. The lyrics and the meaning behind it, you know, it's like anti-war. It's kind of a protest thing and talking about like corporate people and business. They were in their time era, in their region. That was very important music, but the gosh, the tone from david gilmore's guitar was crazy then the lyrics were great but the second best band was the allman brothers tell you what 
those two brothers playing, harmonizing. They played music that no one else was doing, no one else had done before, and no one else still did to this day. Like, the Allman Brothers is super unique. There's not another band I can think of that sounds like them. And it's the same for Pink Floyd. They're so unique with what they did and so good at it. I think that's what won me uh, probably more than any any other band of that time era. It looks like they start around 69. Floyd? No, uh, Allman Brothers. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's that's an era of music that uh, I love and appreciate. Is definitely the, it's transitional. Definitely. Because everything is experimental, too, because it's just stuff that wasn't around. Listen, to Zeppelin's about to happen. Hendrix is oh. happening. Oh, jeez. Yeah. So you have a transitional time from folk and hippie and acoustic stuff that was kind of going into the Carlos Santana and Jimi Hendrix and Cream, where stuff was getting more gainy, more bluesy, more rock and roll, and transitioning into a different era of music with more energy and I still watch that, what is it, three-and-a-half-hour documentary, um, Woodstock, the a complete day, or it's like three days of... Oh, I haven't seen that. ...peace. You have to. It's it's all over the place. You can find it on YouTube. You can find it Entertain Mart for a couple bucks or whatever, but watch it. You can watch all the major performances um, without a doubt, though. Without a doubt. There's two performances um, that stand out immediately in my mind and I'm not even going to talk about uh, <clears throat> Jimi Hendrix performance that's rhetoric we already know that I'm going to talk about two other performers there that their performances are legendary and will forever be ingrained in rock and roll history if you watch those videos you can't help but be quiet and be silent and just watch like some sort of spirit move through these people of passion and perfect performance. The first one is Joe Cocker singing with a little help from my friends. Um, you know it as the intro to Wonder Years. Oh, I know. I I'm aware of the song. I love the song. Joe Cocker sings it and his voice is absolutely angelic and in the way he hits some sort of those raspy screams what would you do if i say attitude it's you listen to the crowd and the thousands and thousands of people you won't even hear a peep it's amazing within like 15 seconds of him singing after that little piano like mellotron intro and then he opens up would you stand up and walk out on me? And there's no lyrics going on, and it's silent in the crowd. I'm, I, I'm so jealous of those kind of performances because me being a music performer, I love high energy with our kind of music. Right. I love it. And I understand that we don't play those you know, emotionally quiet and slow songs. That's just not what our particular band does. But I'm so jealous of those moments. There's some real magic. Well, when you can move an entire on. audience to cause them to pay attention to you yeah. is alarming in this day and age. And I would venture to say it's hypnosis. It's the same thing a stand up comedian does. It's the same thing, you know, 
a single solo violinist does playing Paganini Caprice number 24. You know, something about the situation and what's going on, they command attention and you're captivated. And those old performances, Joe Cocker, he knocked it out. And the second one I'll talk about, it is a famous story and it's talked about a lot, but Carlos Santana, what happened to the to Carlos Santana is very, very crazy. So he shows up, and he's not expecting to play till the next day, I guess day two, right? So he gets flown out by a helicopter. He lands in, and then he meets, who does he meet first? Jerry Garcia from the Grateful Dead. And they're all frying LSD, all of them. And this is his first run-in with LSD, apparently, Carlos Santana said. He had never even heard of the stuff, you know, and this was, I guess, the early ages because, you know, I believe it was created San Francisco era, pushed out in the scene and then passed out the psychedelic scene and is very popular in festivals and music clubs and venues out there. So, of course, it was going to be at Woodstock. And Jerry Garcia asked if Carlos Santana wanted to try some. And Carlos said, well, what is it? What does it do? And Jerry said something to the effect of, you have a great time. You'll see lots of stuff. Everything's colorful and beautiful, basically. So he's like, sure, I'm not on till tomorrow. I got plenty of time. How long does this last? He's like, I don't know, like eight to ten hours. You'll be fine. He's like, cool. So he takes some. He says within an hour, somebody, he, rem- he remembers like kind of coming to his consciousness. So he had been staring off and dozed off, I guess, and wasn't just just staring, no not longer paying attention. In this realm, yes, basically. yes, and not knowing what's going on. Somebody grabbed him by his shirt, and was like, "Carlos, Carlos, you must go on stage. You must go on stage." <laughs> he just called your name. Realizing Jerry didn't know at all the time schedule of when Carlos Yikes. was supposed to play, and Carlos was on like number three or number four, and he had just started to what the psychedelic. LSD community calls peak where the drugs are really starting to think of a mountaintop, him. the very yeah. tippy top. And he said he prayed to God immediately. And he said, God, if you just put me through this, if you let me get through this, I'll never touch the stuff again. <laughs> I swear. <laughs> it's like, I'll never touch the stuff again because he said he kept looking down on his hands and they would wiggle like on him like the little rubber guy like stretch armstrong (laughs) they were just wiggling and wobbling so he walked out on stage with the band and if you watch the performance knowing this pay attention to carlos you see he's uncomfortable he's looking around his head's all twitchy he picks up his sg and he starts playing and he said he had no knowledge of what was going to happen he didn't know where to start but he said when the music started he just kept praying kept praying and all of a sudden, he started playing. Probably that muscle memory he's yeah. been doing it so oh, long. Of, of course, of purely course. Purely instinct. Of course. He, he had played it a thousand times before. But what he reminisces about this particular memory, about this point, when he looked down at the neck, because he's like, oh my gosh, I'm actually playing. Like, holy crap. He said the neck of the guitar turned into a serpent. Oh, yeah. And every time he <laughs> stopped playing... The serpent would start whipping towards his face and so striking. So he had to play him. to keep it at bay. So, huh? so he said he had to keep playing. So you'll see in the very first song him 
looking as guitar, looking up, looking as guitar, looking up, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And he makes these uncomfortable faces because he's literally fighting a serpent <laughs> and he's fighting That's reality hilarious. in his head. And he puts on one of the one of the most emotionally charged, you know, connected performances right. ever. It becomes ingrained, entrenched forever in history of rock and roll. And Carlos Santana forever put a permanent spot for Santana in rock and roll history from then on. And then, honestly, his journey was way easier from then on. Like, they played even more shows. And what's funny, all these people that played Woodstock, you know the you know one band that didn't? They refused? Who's that? The Doors. Imagine if they... What maybe potentially could have happened if they had signed up for Woodstock, calmed down the little bit of the rebellious thing, and maybe Jim Morrison might not have potentially, allegedly killed himself. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Yep, that's the performance right there. And that's that's the story. Why don't you hit play on that? Why don't you add some volume with this? No, we're not on YouTube. You can play. We're on Spotify, man. Play it out. This is Carlos explaining the performance, guys. Hippies were out in full force poking up ganja and popping LSD. A total of 32 acts performed, including legendary Jimi Hendrix closing the show with his psychedelic rendition of the U.S. National Anthem. But it wasn't Jimmy who stole the spotlight that day. It was a young Mexican-American from Jalisco, Mexico, who brought the world a new flavor of music with his melodic guitar style that would end up being his signature sound. After touring the San Francisco club circuit and having success, Santana finally caught a break. Bill Graham, a longtime friend who was working on Woodstock, fought to get them on a bill. Upon arriving, instead of getting ready to go on, Carlos and the band were up to no good hanging around the back. <laughs> up to no good. Who was already stoned and high, approached the group and offered them some LSD. Assuming they would have enough time to come down from the high before going on, they were suddenly thrusted onto the stage. You're supposed to go on hours later, and they said, you got to get on now. If you don't get on now, you're not going to play. Oh, yeah. He, his Look. face is just turned. He's terrified. Look at him. He's taming the snake right he's now. Still, he's still wailing, though. See him look at him. He closes his eyes, and he's just whipping it. I remember that I was yeah, that's crazy. What was funny about that story? The uh, reporter asked him after he told it. He's like, because he was a British reporter. So did you ever go back on your word to God? He's like, yeah. Yeah, I did. I did LSD. <laughs> <laughs> it was a pretty funny interview Jeez. story. But... I mean, what a monumental performance by so many people. I mean, and we don't ha we can't have that ever again. No, you know what I mean. No way. That collection of artists and musicians that have just rocked. And as a as a viewer and customer of live music and lover of live music myself, not only a player of music, it's honestly most. <laughs> Most likely because the people in the crowd are not going to be able to handle such a massive, massive collaboration without some terrible stuff going on. It's right. You know, you always hear horrible, horrible things at these festivals that don't have the amount of people that Woodstock had. And you hear horrible druggings and sexual assaults and, and no stuff. security, really. Yeah, and because they they pay 
you know, just enough officers to get their insurance, you know, covered so they can get their money for it. And I get it, but, you know, and at that time, it's not like they had security or anything. You know, Woodstock was definitely overrun. They charged people tickets and then people broke the fences and no yeah, one everyone stopped was charging. But they obviously didn't understand the scope and the magnitude of what what was needed in society in 1969. In a time that people were not wanting to be in Vietnam, they saw through the whole sham of what, honestly, we recreated in Afghanistan. Forcing a war for some sort of gain, whoever gets that gain, but it's not them, and it's not the people here in our country. Someone's getting a paycheck. And, you know, they, they forced that... And honestly, the people were bailed. But one beautiful moment in that documentary, if, if you watch it, it's about an hour in. Um, they they run out of food, right? Because they didn't anticipate the tens of thousands of people right. there. They, the whole venue runs out of food. So what happens? In a time these anti-war, anti-protesters by the tens of thousands are out here literally protesting the war, the Army and the Navy brings helicopters and flies in food for all these mm. people for the next three days and they manage to feed and probably save people's lives because a hundred percent i'm sure a lot of people were doing drugs dehydrated yep. no food in their system yeah and you know that built they had a community there that i can only imagine is reminiscent of why i love horseshoe hell in horseshoe canyon ranch arkansas and jasper arkansas so much the sense of community of selfless love for your neighbor. No one is out acting nefarious at Horseshoe Hell. Everyone's there to have a good time, experience life, experience new things. Music, food, friends, family. You know, you you get to cook like the first day, two years ago. Uh, my friend Kelton, he was also my climbing partner, Kelton Schuler. He brought a bunch of squirrels that he had shot on his father's property um and we ended up cooking a big squirrel stew and the second i filled up our bowls it's like hey why don't we just go serve people so we took this big pot with a lid and a wooden spoon and we started walking around this massive 420 460 acre ranch and we just grab a bowl triple s in it yeah sharing that squirrel stew you know what i mean (laughs) we 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 asked if if you got a bowl and you're hungry, step up. And people are like, what is it? I'm like, squirrel stew. <laughs> and that was a conversation starter. And you wouldn't believe how many people had never had squirrel, of course. Right. Mildly freaked out about it, I'm sure. But see, that's that's like the thing. I've literally whipped out squirrel at a party at Rhett's house. He carries squirrels on his <laughs> belt 24-7, I guys. have like a squirrel fanny pack. <laughs> but... Kelton brought some squirrel to a party and we cooked it there and these people were all like hesitant, right? But no one at Horseshoe Hell was hesitant. Why? It goes back to that family trusting thing where like, listen, you like the same things I do. We're all in this event here together for the next few days. We're all sharing, experiencing new things. All of us are. And they're not. And they just trust you. And they're not going to throw you under the bus. Yeah. They just trust you like, hey, if this guy's telling me this is good you know, when am I ever going to get another chance to have squirrel? Plus, this is another one of those weird, quirky stories that makes horseshoe hell fun that you go back and you're like, your friends ask you, hey, what happened at that? Dude, first day, these two guys with beards, they looked 
pretty similar to each other. I thought they were brothers, which we got that a lot. People think Kelton and I are brothers. <laughs> it's very weird. Yeah, I can see that. And they served us squirrel stew. But it was wonderful. It had like potatoes and carrots and onions. And it, was, it was really, really good. Really good. Um, and a way to talk to new people, like conversation starter. Hey, I'll be the first to say I'm not great with starting conversations with people. I'm yeah, walking up to a stranger. I just don't really have a desire to. So I find myself, you know, not doing it very often. And that's not a good habit all the time. You know, sometimes it's good to open up and go talk to people. Um, but horseshoe hell, there's something about it. It, it makes you want to go talk to people, makes you want to figure out who this person camping next to you is. And cooking is such a great conversation starter. That's why we talk about it all the time. Go out camping with a group of friends. Cook some food. Share, Don't bring share a, a meal around a campfire. Yeah. It does wonders to the psyche. Don't bring a mountain house as your main meal. Bring it as a backup in case you fail miserably. Put in your backpack or, or your car. But bring some raw ingredients vegetables some meat stuff like that that you can go out and cook and then sit down and share where you're all eating out of the same dish or scooping from the same dish things like this encourage conversation they incentivize interaction and you're going to learn more about your friends i know you might know your friend same person you've known for 20 years but i know there's something you don't know about them some interests that they know or maybe something that they actually know that you haven't quite dove into yet, you know, some new hobby or some interest that they have. Like one of my interests for you know, 10 years is conspiracies. I love it. I don't base my life. I don't put a lot of weight and emotion into it. I don't, you know, I don't trust a lot of these people. It's entertainment for me in the same sense that I mentioned Jersey Shore was earlier. You know, it's just, it's fun to listen to. Right. But you're um, not taking it as gospel. No, for sure. But some of these things will catch you off guard, I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> I've read a lot of crazy experiences. I've got a couple guys at work that they believe anything and everything, and they're the first ones that'll send me a picture of a fish with human teeth and like, look, it's real. I'm like, dude, come on. So the guy put dentures in the mouth, or it's Photoshopped, you know what I mean? So just get real here. <laughs> there is that one fish that eats clams. It, it has like human teeth. I think it's called a sheep's head or something like that. It has these or a mutton head. Weird human teeth. Mutton head? Yeah, some look look for the fish that has human like teeth. So is the there's a real fish I with human you. teeth. You're gonna look at it Lion. Like, Watch. You're gonna look at him like what? Fish with teeth. No fish with human teeth. It's gonna blow your mind. It looks fake, but it's not. They have them because they that is fake. It's like a conch shell popper or like a I don't know what they call them, but they bust shells with their teeth. That's what they eat. So they have to have these weird denture-like teeth that look like uh, redneck teeth, like dude, dude, bubba gum teeth. So fake, not even real. What's it called? What's the fish called? It says, uh, doesn't a sheep? Yeah, sheep's head fish. Yep, sheep's head. Is that the it has black several and white rolls stripe? of molars for crushing prey? This. Is it black and white striped? It didn't. It didn't really show the outside. It just shows his ridiculous teeth. I know they're really good to eat. I like watching uh, deer meat for dinner. Old Robert Arrington. Shout out to old Robert Arrington. Deer meat for dinner in Florida. His YouTube videos are great. His channel's awesome. 
catch clean cooks all sorts of stuff he's a hunter fisherman uh natural conservationist and everything island hopper too uh he's also christian his family i i really like seeing that you know every every video if they cook something they always pray before meals you know they're not scared to do that and put that out on online that's pretty cool but robert errington he's regularly catching fish in florida and i see the sheep's head he catches often and they're a weird looking fish i don't believe it it looks like malarkey to me google it. well i mean the, but that's the thing is that whenever you google it there's only like two pictures all of the same fish all with ridiculous teeth mm-hmm because that's what the sheep's head looks like. A ridiculous but fish it's just with teeth. This one guy has this one fish is the only thing you can find on Google. I, I find mean, it hard to believe. If you go believe. to like uh if you go to like uh Florida sheep's head sheep's head fishing. Right. So you can sp- like specifically see people, you know, targeting sheep's head. You're going to see it. Yep, there you go. I'm telling you. And it's some of them get even bigger than that. that. Like, the teeth get crazy looking on Right. It just looks a little... Alright, you guys, believe it or not, I don't know. Look it up. Sheep's head fish. Looks like human teeth, but it's ridiculous. Yeah. Anyway, I wouldn't want to be underwater and that see that thing coming right at me, you know? Ooh, speaking of underwater and conspiracies, I'm going to tie it together. Oh, let me hear the underwater conspiracy. So, going back to... Uh, Mermaids, isn't it? No. Oh. <laughs> but, you know all the videos that they've been releasing about UFOs in the past year and a half or so, right? Year and a half to two years. They, the, uh, the Pentagon and all sorts of agencies are releasing different videos on uh, YouTube and on different channels where they're showing some sort of craft and then it does things that are what we know in our realm with our technology to be impossible, impossible movements, impossible speeds. But one such video, there might be two, really intrigued me because I've always said this. I've always said we've only explored what? It's like 7% or 8% of the oceans. Something so little because it's so hard to get down there, right? But we're, we're always so intrigued about going to space, going to space, going to space. And it's so expensive trying to go to space. Right. But didn't they just send, like, a group of five people up to space, the biggest bidders, if you paid, like, 200 grand or whatever yeah, it was? Yeah, but that's not space. Well, that was that's, out of that's, yeah, that's, our that's, atmosphere, there's, barely. There's tons right. of layers. Yes, there's tons of right. spheres. And that's they went outside of one sphere or one or two spheres. But isn't like that crazy that. that just the highest bidder can just automatically, hey, I'm going to go to space this weekend? Yep. I'm not doing anything. William Might Shatner. as well go, you know. William Shatner, 90 years old, just Leave got back up, to Scotty. space. I mean, that's pretty cool that he got to go. I got to yeah. be honest. I mean, that kind of makes sense. Yeah, it's kinda, William Sh- I guess. But anyway, back on these two videos. Right. One of them, in particular, they even talked about it on Rogan, where this UFO will talk, or U, UMP, whatever they're calling it now. I don't know. Is it? This craft. Unidentified flying object was fleeing from, I think it was Navy jets or Air Force jets, and they couldn't get a lock, couldn't get a lock, then it was actively turning off their locking sensors. It was actively turning them off to where they couldn't use them, they couldn't lock on anything. So something was 
manipulating their computer in the fighter just all of or them. Or blocking the signal. Correct. So to it, do it. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. And it gets weirder. Then when they get they try and get close to it, it of course zips, dips, dodges. And it dives down (laughs) towards the water, and it's on camera, and it's on, I think it's thermal or IR. They have this ship flying high rate of speed. It loses like 10,000 feet in altitude. It's like 500 miles an hour and plunges into the ocean and vanishes. And they look at the water, and there's like bubbles and movement, and it's gone. And there's no radar in the water. They can't get sonar. There's nothing that appears on it. And it's blocked off. And they've... When they were flying and reporting this, you can hear their you know audio transmissions. And when they talked about it later, they also discussed not only could we not keep up, could we not track it and read it. We had no idea what it was. Our sensors couldn't keep up with it. But they, this has been happening for years, apparently. The traffic controllers know about it, but the pilots don't until you experience it. That's wild. And they're not allowed to talk about it. They're not allowed to do anything like that. You know, they file reports and it gets lost away. And they always happen over water. They're always happening in the middle of nowhere. And think about it like this. Let's just say you had a massive technological hub where you were storing, let's say there's not even beings in these crafts, right? They're just drones, high-powered, high-technological drones. And they're just on like a carrier underwater. And they just pop out of the water, fly around, and pop right back. Where would you hide something like that? Into the depths of the ocean. ocean. On this planet, yeah. Some place that's so difficult to get to, so deep, so out of the way, with nothing at all around it. And all the time that these pilots are experiencing these craft sightings, they're way, way, way off the coast. It's it's weird. Yeah, I just I just watched that video, right? But it just seems like, I mean, it's just a black dot. Cameras now. Why can we not have better clarity? Because What's going of on here, how guys? fast it's going, and this is not a camera. This is a sensor on a on a fighter. Oh jet. yeah, it is thermal. So this is a right. fighter jet, high tech computer, and it can't track it or keep up with it. Why does it look like it was taped on a flip phone from the nineties? Because I don't think they're going to put an 8K camera on the front of a fighter jet very easily. I mean, I'm sure they do, but not for that. I don't think an 8K camera would be able to to catch any of that, right? It has to be IR or something like that, or thermal, because of the speed and the distance and things like that. You're not going to see it. And the way it's got, like, the heads-up display around it has all this. I'm not for sure what of the... It's very strange, man. Yeah, it's pretty different. If you want my take... UFOs. This is my take. Aliens. I'm coming from a conspiracy and a faith-based background with my belief here. And this is, that is what it is, my belief. (laughs) So it is not gospel, it's not yours. We can talk about it later. But my belief is that there are beings, but it is not the same beings in the way that people think they are. And can we see them? I think it's sometimes, yes, I honestly believe it's it's demons. This all involves good versus evil, light versus dark. This is demonology versus Christianity. So you're talking like about a spiritual type. Listen, man, the Bible tells us that demons can pretty much do anything on this planet it's, except for kill you. Didn't it say they can you. show themselves? 
Yep, they can manifest in any form, any person, because theoretically, you could be meeting NPCs. Can I tell you a story that scared me in my childhood? Whenever we went to church, there was an evangelist. Evangelist comes around, you know, different cities, tells their story, that kind of thing. This guy was talking about how he knew one of his most spiritually whatever, you know, just a very in-touch-with-God friend of his that he was just so passionate about God, very close. And basically he woke up in the middle of the night and saw the face of a demon at the bottom of his bed. And he says, oh, it's just you, says a little prayer, and goes back to sleep. And that haunted me. I thought I was going to see the face of demon everywhere. You know, I couldn't sleep for like a month after that. And it's just one of those things where after I heard that story as a kid, it just definitely scared me. But listen, there it's without a doubt evil exists. Even if you don't have faith, you know there's evil people in this world, right? Look at the Night Stalker. They made a documentary on him. There's people like that that – Alistair Crowley, people that do the worst things that you could possibly imagine. And that thought and power and manifestation comes from somewhere. Right. And according to my belief, if it's not of God, who is it come from? Because that's what God says. He said, if the power is not from me, then who is it come from? And I'll tell you something scary that I didn't notice until literally just this year. God also says in the Bible, this earth is the devil's. He is the king of this realm. Jesus came down here to reside in this humanly realm, right? A God resides in the heavens and all around us and in us, right? But this realm is Satan's. And God says that. So he says, do not ever underestimate the master manipulator, the master deceptor, that whose only goal on this entire planet is to deceive, to lie, and to trick you. And the deceiver. So with that possibility of deception to the utmost degree in everything, he's going to try and deceive you, right? So let's say you have these super wealthy elites that are trying to access power that they're like, well, I want to rule the world. How can I do this? So I'm going to perform these ceremonies or rituals that's going to summon this spirit, and I'm going to talk to him. So they physically made contact for real. That's crazy. Through whatever means. And I believe it's through DMT and through different horrible child pedophilia rituals and uh, molestation rituals and assault and abuse rituals. And with the two together performing the horrible act kind of connects them to the spirit and the DMT allows them to communicate with the spirit world and they think Tyler they're talking to alien beings right these spiritual all knowing when in fact they could just be talking to the master deceptor any of his master deceptors his demons that are like these idiots legitimately think that we're like alien angels (laughs) I mean Okay, let's keep this up. Okay. Yeah. Wait, wait. Go uh, go kill your neighbor we, real quick. We are angels. We are here to give you infinite knowledge, but all you have to do is kill these children. What, what kind of... <laughs> what kind of offer is that? You know, clearly you're messing with evil stuff. 
And if half of these conspiracies or even part of these conspiracies involving these elites and these horrible acts are true, they're 100% Tyler contacting demons and they're doing demonic evil works and just furthering horrible corruption. And it's no coincidence that the world burns around them while they do more and more of these acts. I mean, the world is definitely... Uh, seems like it's getting worse and worse by the day. I'll just say that. Yeah, and imagine if you are unknowingly... But you sincerely believe... You sincerely believe you're talking, communicating with these multi-dimensional beings we've already discussed how you can be sincerely wrong by not be believing in gravity and gravity still existing so the possibility of being sincerely wrong is real then you have to really be careful about things like these psychedelic drugs that take you completely out of this realm per se and transport you and you hear talks about people communicating with like Oh, there's thousands of these wood elves, and they're just talking. Or there's this, there's this snake lady, and she looked at me in my eyes, and she said, "You know, be your true self. Ignore these things. You have to look at all these things with a grain of salt." And the same way you would look at someone else's political belief with a shot of penicillin, you can't just assume they're just wackos <laughs> yeah, from the get go. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, you have to understand that the power in this could be very real and you very well could be doing something irreversible in your life because on the conspiracy theory podcast uh, Sam Tripoli the tinfoil hat he had one guest that talked about his friends that decided to dabble in the dark arts of you know different magics because they thought magic was colored that you know there's blue magic and white magic and black magic and all sorts of these things right so they believe as long as you didn't practice black magic you know with like black candles you light them and you you just keep saying and imagining someone in a car wreck and eventually bad thing you would never want to do something Jeez, like that that's, that's, that, that's horrible things but they thought as long as they didn't dabble into that side of the magic if they only did things like what they referred to as white magic oh this is so innocent it's it's white it's clean it's clear but it go listen it goes back to what god said if the power does not come from me, who does it come from? And I am not supplying you with that kind of power. The power that I supply you with is the best power, and that is free choice. Free choice to choose whatever you want in this world, to believe in or not. But whatever other power is out there, that's not mine. And I'm telling you, I'm warning you to stay away from it because that's dangerous, dangerous, uncontrollable stuff that is deceptive and tricky. And what this guy explained, he said within the course of two years, his three friends that had practiced, quote, white magic for healing and peace and energy and uh, success and things like that um, and knowledge and blue magic for, I don't remember what, what blue magic was for, but he said within two years, their life was completely in shambles and no coincidence. They all like so bad. And one of them, one of them, Tyler ended up committing suicide because he kept saying, he kept hearing voices in his head that told him to kill his family. Jeez. And he morally still had morals left. 
Yeah. Inviting the demons in. Basically. Yeah. And they were battling so hard with him against his morals that he killed himself because he didn't have faith to fight off the demons or these bad feelings. And what may seem innocent and fun at first or intriguing, you know, dabbling in these things, it's it can be a real, real bad idea. And even know, something as small as like a Ouija board, you know, it just seems yeah. harmless. You can get it at Walmart. Yep. It's on the, That's you what know, he talked the game about shelf. Too. It's just... I, I just try to stay away from it. It's not That's for me. That's what he talked about, too. He's like, that's it's not a joke. And he's like, and he himself was not of faith. He's actually, um, he's agnostic. He thinks there is something, kind of, but a he doesn't power, know but doesn't what know it is. That, he doesn't, yeah. you know. But he's like, for sure, whatever this is, it's evil. This is the works of evil group. This is a group of evil. It might not be Satan because he doesn't, you know, believe in God per se. So he's not going to say that it's Satan. But he said this is an evil group, and they manipulate humans because we're weak and stupid. We are weak and stupid to think that Tyler. Think about it like this: that committing the original sin again is going to do us any good. What was the original sin? What did Adam and Eve do? They thought they could be gods. Did they yeah. not? chose free will and then they thought they could chose the wrong answer eat knowledge from the tree of knowledge good and evil and they thought they could gain the wealth of the universe and is that not exactly but what, what happened the little serpent was yeah. just you know chit-chatting in okay. their ear a little bit you know like hey yeah. that apple I can give you that pretty tasty on that tree there you know plump and juicy if you know what I mean and I'll tell you what, anything that has me trying to commit the original sin, you know that's evil. You know, even without faith, that's evil. But then, but then you start thinking about some stuff like gluttony. Dude, well, I, can eat, I can eat some is. fried chicken, you know what I mean? That stuff's all, delicious. Have you noticed, though, and this goes what that guy was saying, that's why he's not of faith, but he, he sympathizes with it. He understands that now... Without a doubt, this modern new world order type culture, one think, one world think, anti-God, anti-religion is clearly of the devil. Because what is their agenda? They're all about empowering who, Tyler? You. You, 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 you. It's always just about me, 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 me. How can I get better? How can I get richer? How can I get more successful? How can I know more people, more opportunities? How can I get more friends? How can I know more than you? How can I get a jet ski? You know what I mean? It yeah. all unfolds. And this is about <laughs> the self-preservation of, quote, becoming a god, your own god. You are in control of your own life in every aspect. You control your wealth, your... Is that not the original sin? That's how you know. But God did give us free will, though. Correct, and you are allowed to choose. But that's how you know that that's not of God. Right. So, if you are agnostic and you're on the fence, heed the words, just proceed with the caution. I would never encourage any of that. Question your faith, but don't dabble in magic and witchcraft and things like that. That's It's irreversible, and some... Some some things you might not be able to to get back in life, or it might honestly set you back. You might be summoning something that physically could be like a curse, 
like a plague that sets you back for three, five years. I remember that there was a girl in our class in like middle school or something that claimed that she was a Wicca or a witch, you know? A Wiccan. And, she, yeah. and we would ask, like, yeah. have you ever put curses? Well, I've done a couple. And then I've seen her like not too recently, but a while ago. And, dude, she literally like just grew old and l- the stereotypical witch looked exactly like just white hair. Yeah gross looking and just evil and i mean you go back to alistair crowley's bullcrap writings he was a horrible human wrote terrible writings that are made a tremendous effect in the pagan and you know horrible anti-religion community and he was full of crap and this man always pushed you know satanism is all about like stinking you know not bathing and being being a a free you know i'm free ultimate freedom control over everything you control everything you you know i hear stupid young kids saying you know satanism isn't actually just about the devil that's actually a myth satanism is actually just free will it's true peace it's true freedom you're an idiot this is literally like trying to justify the Nazi guards, well, they're not all, you know, well, there were some things that Jews did bad. Like, what are you talking about? Like, what are you talking about? This is not even debatable. This is bad stuff. <laughs> and a lot of people are mixed up in it. And But they can justify it however they want to because make them feel better. You because know? my favorite pop star likes it or my favorite rapper talks about the devil. Like, come on. Be a free thinker. You like to applaud yourself for having an education and being so smart. Then think for yourself. You know, <laughs> it. But I have really school is kind of a cookie cutter, you know, form of thinking. Oh, there's no kind of about it. If you if you are just now in 2021, if you're just sending your kids to public school, you are pumping out an indoctrined sheep. If you don't do your work at home. If you don't pry, ask, talk, engage, question, like ask your kids some questions, ask them stuff that, you know, maybe a year or two above them, see what they think about it, see what they're starting to uh, think and feel, see what they regurgitate back, because I'll tell you what, does a six-year-old think very deeply? No, but they'll recite things that they've been told. So you can kind of get an idea of what your school system's doing, you know. If you if you don't approve, hey, it's not illegal to homeschool, and it's not like it's 1985, right? It's 2021. The resources, apps, websites, there's free programs now that you can double on top of public school that you can have your kid doing an hour or two of homework at night instead of bullcrap schoolwork that's or video games yeah, or anything video like games that. you know what i always incentivize doing something like that especially for certain time areas and then allocate two to three days a week where it's outdoor day it's outdoor day there's no video games on outdoor day they get two days a week with that maybe three days a week that they get video games or electronics but three four days it's 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 outdoor day sorry you know if you're bored i'm i'm bored go outside and I was just like the you know our little guy in there the other day I'm bored just standing outside I'm like all right well 
I gave him a throw a knife. I'm like, you see that tree right there? There's throw your it. target. Yeah, Go have fun it. with it. He, he played with it for about an hour with his buddy out there, and they had a ball. Of course, they did it safely. There's no edge on the knife or anything, but, I mean, stuff like that. Where we were growing up, dude, we made our own fun. There was, you know, nothing around. Yeah. We just did it. <laughs> what am I supposed to do? Grab a stick and push a rock. Yeah. I don't <laughs> Play know. in the dirt. Whatever yeah. you want. Climb a tree. See that turtle over there? Pick him up and look at him. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, just find something. Something. It. They just don't know how to just play normally. But that will come back to him. It's just... I think I relate it to... I can empathize. And I relate it to me changing job fields so much. Going from a high-paced, high-volume kitchen to retail. I'm walking around retail like I don't know what to do with my hands. I physically don't know what to do with my hands. Like I'm just standing there like an idiot because I'm used to always moving. There's stuff to do. There's stuff to do. There's no one in the store. What do you do? Well, I guess... Face shelves, you know, walk around and clean. Or, you and you're know. like, I've already done that. Yeah. Do it again. What What am I supposed to do? Eventually, after about two, three weeks, you find things, you learn, you adapt, you adjust. You realize that, well, I can't. There's not a whole list of things to do. So I have to, this is a marathon, not a race. You know, I got to space it out. I got to my job title has to or my duties have to space out a little bit. And it's. It's the same thing. These kids that are so used to being able to go, you know, they're in these routines, these habitual routines. They come home from school, kick their backpack off, run to the bathroom, go pee real quick, run to the kitchen, grab a drink, quick snack, run to the room. Am I describing Caden? Turn on the 100%. TV, the game console, or the PC, and they kick up, and that's it. Yeah. You know? And, and that kid will have three different devices going on at once, you know? His phone, he's talking to someone. His tablet's over there playing a YouTube video while he's playing a video game. Like, what is going on? Yeah, and we can't get mad at them. It's it's the environment that they're growing up in. It's We grew up in a different environment, but it's your responsibility, in my eyes, to adapt a little bit and to supplement that environment with a little different environment. This covers so many different topics. It's crazy, like racism and ethnicity. It's important to immerse yourself in different cultures and different backgrounds of people groups, different belief groups, different different religious groups, different uh, clubs at school or groups at school, different hobbies. Because, unbelievably, all these people are just like you. They just do different things. Right. So you talk to these people and you figure out a different way of life, different things. Maybe you'll do one or two of these things. Maybe you won't do any of it. Maybe you'll argue and... Figure out you don't like this person. Maybe you find your best friend. You never know. But if you get the kids a couple days a week off the electronics, send them outside, go play out with them. Don't just send them out and do nothing because sometimes kids need need they some. need a little guidance. Yeah. yeah. Make sure they're doing the right things. But I don't, I don't believe in the whole uh, just jump on a game console and let that be the uh, parent. Right. I'm also a firm believer in not regretting a, a fun opportunity. Like, for instance, I, I sold my little scooter. I had a little 50cc. It's kind of funny, the evolution of, 49 of bikes. CC. Yeah, correct. 49cc. <laughs> I love that darn thing. It was the best $400 I ever bought. But so anyway, I sold it, and you know, I, just before I did, I took Caden on. He's a little 10-year-old boy. 
and he he was always scared about riding it himself. I'm like, listen, I'll ride on the back, you can ride on the front, I'll kind of hold on to the steering. I'm like, you got you have to drive it before I sell this thing forever. And boy, he did up and down the street, you know, and he did great. And I said, so did you regret not riding this this the whole time? Well, of course, I should have been doing it a long time ago. Like, yes, man. Oh, scary things are fun. You can't let fear hold you back for sure. For the most part, when you're talking about new things and hobbies, fear is the most fun you're gonna have. Um, you know, we've we've talked about it before camping. The worst experience, like free, like that one night we stayed at Busick and I froze all night because I didn't bring anything. Yeah, that and was And I was brutal. in a hammock and it dropped down to 40 something degrees. So cold. And I literally got maybe 30 minutes of sleep all night. Miserable. But guess what? The second it was over and you're warm at home and dry and you showered, it's over. It's yeah. done. There's no more pain, but all you it have temporarily is temporarily sucked. But hey, we can talk about it now, and we're still still laughing about it. So yeah, those are the best memories. That was the same night I found that really cool staff that yeah. looked like Gandalf's staff. It was an old, but it was like tree, probably triple the girth, right? So it was just a big hefty log that looked like Gandalf's staff. It, it almost cool. had like a shepherd's crook on the end. Yeah. We we put a bunch of white sage leaves, like um, bundles a bundle of white of it, sage. Yeah. Those those are really cool to burn. I know they're popular in the, the like spiritual community, but that's not why I burn them. I burn them because they smell kind of cool. Very calming too. Yeah. I remember. Yep, sage smells really cool, and you're out there burning it. We had it on the staff. Had a nice roaring campfire, but we didn't keep the fire going all night. Probably should have. That would have helped out. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I remember I had a sleeping bag in my hammock, and I mean it was still pretty brutal for sure. When that wind comes up underneath, it just all sorts of violates and disrespects you. I mean, it just just chills you to the bone. That's that's why I stopped uh, wanting to go hammock camping so much, unless it's in the middle of like or late summer, early fall. Yeah. Because to have the equipment kind of for hammock camping, you gotta have an underquilt. You gotta have a pretty good thin a pad. Net, and you gotta you have know. a pretty good uh, good rain fly bag. Yeah. And see, luckily I got. My hammock with the bug bug tent attached to it. It's like a one-piece zip-up thing, like a bug screen mesh tent. I just got to put a ridge line above my hammock and put a tarp over it, which you know I did. But that doesn't help you at all as far as you know thermal rating. You definitely right. need to get yeah, something with an R rating. Yeah, I've used just a paracord above me and just thrown a big tarp over me, just teepee style. And it definitely keeps you know the rain and stuff off of you, the bugs off of you a little bit, but... Yeah, it doesn't really help with the heat factor or the warmth factor. Yeah, I mean, that's actually probably the number one, you know, through hiker shelter is just a ridge line, common common shelter ridge line and the tarp because you're able to sleep underneath it really quick, set up. If it starts raining on you, you can set it up really quick and get underneath it. Um, weighs nothing, takes up no space. So a lot of those ultralight guys, um, through hikers, ultralight backpackers, they'll go minimal on their on their shelter and they'll <clears throat> literally just have a sometimes even just a footprint which is a little too extreme for me i i like being somewhat comfortable i have a hard enough time sleeping outside yeah i got i have to be really comfortable um as far as temperature wise if it's too hot i there's no sleeping yeah if it's too cold yeah i can still sleep 71 but it might be or above but. i have a hard time sleeping it starts getting too stuffy yeah but i did bring that uh well, I didn't bring it. 
this last time. I almost did, but the temperature was still good enough. It was dropping down to like 68 overnight. Um, I have the Goal Zero Yeti 150, which is a little portable battery generator. Um, you can charge it off of wall power. You can plug in solar yeah, those panels. Those things are so and, handy. Um, super awesome. I bought it specifically for charging You know, devices. If we wanted to do our campfire podcast by the fire, we're going to be able to do that. In Arkansas, we're going to have some of those coming up in the future. I was hoping this weekend was going to be nice. Man, it yeah. just poured on us every sinking day and just puddling up everywhere, and it's just not a good camping yeah, night for sure. It's not, not super fun, especially to be bringing electronic equipment out there. But once it's nice, we'll be out there, and we'll do that, which I'm looking forward to that. I'm, I already have a few places we're going to go. Hawksbill Crag, that's a.k.a. Whitaker Point. That's the one. If you that's always a fun one. If you've seen a picture scenic. of Arkansas, yeah. you've more than likely seen Whitaker Point, um, Hawksbill Crag Trail. I think there's a kind of a loop there. Um, probably four to four to six miles in total of trails out there, and the views are second to none in Arkansas. That, without a doubt, that and Sam's Throne are the two best places for sunrise and sunset. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, Tons of camping. Hawksbill Crag has really cool stuff. One of the other places that's I just remembered now, it's called Glory Hole. The Glory Hole. It's incredibly weird, a repulsive name. However, <clears throat> this place, if you're able to get to it, you get it at the Compton Trailhead is where you would park and hike in. And you got about a 2.9-mile bushwhack. Um, so you're telling me that you got a bushwhack by Compton near Glory Hole? Compton's bush whacking <laughs> down to the Glory Hole so you can have your own personal view of the Glory Hole. And what the Glory Hole is, people, it's a big cliff. There's waterfalls out here. There's like two waterfalls. And one of the trails that leads down underneath, when you get inside this overhang you're going to look up and there's a massive skylight it's called the glory hole and it's a big opening and water is dripping down through it like a waterfall so it's a huge uh waterfall cliff opening just in a canopy in a cave basically nice. um, really famous in arkansas um, definitely not for beginners uh it requires bushwhacking so bring a compass bring a uh bring something bring something if you don't have a gps like the garmin inreach the garmin inreach mini something along those line the pro trek you can literally load your map in from a computer put it on your map and walk right to it makes it really easy there's no excuse nowadays um, to get lost in the woods but have a backup plan make sure people know where you're going in case you don't come back because um, that's that's more important than the actual events themselves. If you don't come back from these adventures, you can't tell anyone how cool they are. Right. <laughs> Got to have a story to tell. And make sure people know where you're going. One or two people. Have a backup plan. Have your safety gear. Bring a buddy with you if you can. And go out exploring. Enjoy life, guys. Well, this Enjoy has been the, uh, the first installment of the... Uh, the studio, the shed studio. The shed studio. On two real nice mics. We've got a nice mixing board here. Hope you guys like this episode. Go ahead and like our Facebook page, Beard Bros Campfire Fun Time. 
like us, send us a message, comment on our stuff, let us know how we're doing. And if you have any suggestions, you know, something to talk about, if you have a good talking point, just throw it us, you know, throw it our way and we'll get to it. Yeah, on that same note too, we got guests coming up, like we mentioned earlier. We're not gonna tell them until we have them guaranteed Surprise for a time, uh, a day or two away. And if you yourself think you'd be a good guest, if you know someone's gonna be a good guest, send us a message. Let us know. We'd be glad to hear from you, talk to you, see what you can do for us. And uh, tell you what, the first person to tell us which episode you hear a goat noise on will be yep. our next guest. Yep. How's that? There yep. it is. Pick, pick the episode out. It's in there. It's in there secretly. If you haven't heard it, you missed it. Go back through, listen. Tell your friends. Tell your family. We appreciate it. I've been Grant. I'm Tyler. Thanks, guys.